This is a test of the emergency podcast system. Activated by contract termination. Rumors of our demise are greatly exaggerated. Welcome to Stacy on the Right with your host, Stacy Washington. She's blessed to be a Bible reading, gun toting, Air Force veteran, wife, and mom. Righteously American. <laughs> Welcome to the show. Okay, so you're if you're watching the live stream right now, you can see the chat. And in the chat, people are checking in to see who is in the room. Tracy, Smoke, Richard Layton. And they're 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 requesting that someone named Norm join the chat. That's what we need. So uh first I'll switch the camera over. I love my chat room, folks. Hey y'all, back in the chair. Uh yesterday was an abnormal day for us because normally when I have a speaking engagement, I still come here and do a show. But we had a bit of a extended family emergency, which prevented me from being here. And I really appreciate the people who were like, where, where are you? I, I'm glad to know that you miss me when I'm not here. But yesterday was just a very, very difficult day. And family comes first. Um, extended family comes first. We had a step outside it's it's really it's friends they're not technically our family but friends so I had to be there instead of being here and that just happened and I know you guys understand that um and and I just want to list for the good of the order can I just say I'm still glad to be here it might seem like because I've had some absences over the past um week and a half that you're thinking is she still into this I am but life has been pretty interesting and um it's been pretty tough. So I'm not complaining. I am so grateful that I get to sit here. You know, we're here. We're doing this. Um, and I also want to point out that when I get to do a speaking engagement like the one yesterday, that is where we can get more people to know about the show, to listen in, to download the podcast, to be a part of our partnership that we have with the listeners where we're listener supported radio and podcasting. And for me to get a chance to kind of operate in some of the other gifts, namely giving a speech. So yesterday I spoke to uh, the Pastors Appreciation Luncheon, which is an annual event that Bot Radio Network puts on here in St. Louis. And I think we had between two and 250 people there. I didn't actually count the tables. I was too busy laughing and making friends. And um, my speech was about three stories. Three stories. <laughs> so I'm going to be sharing that with you later on in the third segment. I'm actually going to share it with you. You can kind of give me your feedback on it. Um, and I think we're going to have a YouTube video of the actual speech where I'm afraid to say, unless we do some heavy editing, you might see a little bit of moisture popping up on my forehead because the lights were really bright. And um, the outfit that I was wearing was a little on the warm side. It felt like, even though I was fine when I wasn't on the stage. So anyway, um, what's on the show today? Well, we're going to be talking about a lot of things, namely the debate last night. Um, it is so interesting that the Democrats continue to come up with these, these, it, they're, they're spectacles. There's, it's, it's, it's the oddest thing to see a bunch of grownups basically competing for the opportunity to be the weirdest out of the bunch, the weirdest people they can be. That's what it seems like is happening. Uh, so that's fine. You know, I guess they're going to do what they're going to do. Uh, and we're going to have to do what we're going to have to do. So 
I th- I saw a lot of uh, discussion about the debates last night, namely the kind of incoherent nature of Joe Biden's commentary and um, some other things that were going on. I want to first launch off into a deal being reached to end the GM strike. So the UAW is striking against GM for better pay and benefits. And I'm just going to sip my tea real quick. It's not tea, it's coffee. I get it. (laughs) I get it. You want more pay and benefits. But do you even care if your company stays alive? Wouldn't it be kind of like me demanding a whole bunch of paying benefits for doing whatever I do besides this job, besides the podcast. And the person saying, well, if we pay you more, then we won't be able to continue your job. You'll only get the more pay until the end of the year. And then next year we won't be able to like, no one here will have a job because all of you can't have, uh, you know, the pay and benefits that you're demanding. And then I say, okay, give me the pay and benefits for the next, you know, three, four months and I'll take it. And then I'll just find myself another job. Who does that? Who does that? So this is CNN Business reporting that negotiators from General Motors and the United Auto Workers Union have reached a tentative deal to end a 31-day strike by nearly 50,000 workers. Okay. Um, Good for them. Nice to hear. Um, The union obviously is very pleased with this. Um, They're they're kind of crowing about it. Uh, This was a 31-day strike that was going on. The details are not immediately available. Um, It was confirmed by Terry Ditz, the UAW's chief negotiator with GM. And the tentative agreement actually needs approval from both the union leadership as well as the rank and file union members at GM before it can take effect. So UAW officials from across the country were already set to meet in Detroit on Thursday. And this had been taken as a sign that they're getting close to having an actual deal. Now, nobody has a time frame for when the workers will actually go back to where they belong at work. And the ratification process can take a week or more to complete. The number one priority of the national negotiation team has been to secure a strong and fair contract that our members deserve, said Ditz. Now, the strike has been the largest at a U.S. business since the last strike at GM, which was way back in the year 2007. Hmm. That strike was over within three days. This has been the longest major strike in the auto industry in more than 20 years. So... It could be difficult to actual win rank and file approval of the deal that has been proposed. Strikers will probably want to return to work after missing four weeks of paychecks, but membership has been known to reject tentative agreements that have already been reached by their union leadership. That's what happened in the last round of auto contract talks four years ago when members at Fiat Chrysler rejected the initial deal that was presented to them. So GM has been very careful not to say too much about the deal. They're kind of concerned that if they make any statements that even sound like they're not what membership wants, it could completely derail the situation. Um, Tracy is actually in the chat. He offered an interesting comment. And Cacti Forever is in there too. Hey, hey, Cacti. Um, GM pays more with more benefits than any other car manufacturer. Um, he says we can look forward to bailing GM out in the future. I ain't looking forward to that. I know that's sarcasm, but I'm not looking forward to more tax dollars going to a private entity that can't seem to get their workers on the same page. I just wish that there wasn't such a stranglehold on the fact that employers should have the right if people are working for them and the people are working for them don't want to work for what they're paying, that they should be able to hire people who will. Unbelievable. So uh, 
the GM investors liked the news that the deal, tentative deal had been reached. Shares of GM rose up about 2% in midday trading. Most of the gain was had after the news of the deal broke. Shares of GM are actually still down 5% since the start of the strike, so they still have a ways to go to, you know, get basically catch back up to where they were. The strike has actually halted work at 31 GM factories and 21 other facilities across nine states, mostly in the middle of the country. It also led to layoffs at other GM plants in Mexico and Canada that had to shut down because of the disruption in their supply chains. Many of the 10,000 U.S. suppliers that provide auto parts and other goods and services to GM laid their staff off as well. That may have idled as many as 200,000 additional workers at those companies. So if the strike actually ends this week, GM will have lost about $1.5 billion in profit, according to an estimate from the Anderson Economic Group. The group also estimates that strikers have lost about $800 million in wages. Last weekend, the union raised strike benefits 10% to $275 a week. But that is still far less than the more than $30 an hour that veteran workers receive when on the job at GM. I know there's people out there if you're a professional, you make way more than $30 an hour. Um, there are also people out there who they may not have the training that GM gives to their employees. They may not be experienced auto workers, but they might be in manufacturing or plant work in some other sector. And they're looking at that and they're going, 30 bucks an hour? I could get with that, right? So it's just so weird that the entirety of the auto industry that for the unionized workers their demands for pay and benefits are not based on what their employer has basically said, this is what your job is worth. It's based on what they want, strictly what they want and what they feel like they're owed after working at a certain rate for a while, they demand an increase. They've not changed their work. And remember, auto workers work with, uh, they work with machines, robots that build the cars. So they kind of control the robots I'm not saying it's not hard work. Obviously, it's hard work. But wow. I mean, anytime they just get a little bee in their bonnet, they're like, we're going to strike. And then they go on strike. And do you hear the the unintended consequences? Maybe they're intended. The ripple effects, The what happens? Other workers are disenfranchised. They can't work. So supply chain workers who had nothing to do with the strike are actually put out of work by this action. It's kind of, again, kind of amazing. Um So GM announced plans to close four U.S. plants last November, and the union is demanding that some of the vehicles that now the GM is now building in Mexico shift back to U.S. factories. Okay, now I can get with that. I would agree with the unions on that. Um, So those plants had about 3,000 UAW members on payroll at the time of the closing announcement, and GM said it has found other jobs for about 2,300 of those workers, but many had to relocate to take those jobs. Now, the company has offered to invest $8.3 billion in GM plants, and that's an increase of more than $1 billion from its offer at the start of the strike. It has said such investment would create or protect about 5,400 jobs, but the union had continued to push for vehicles to be shifted back from GM plants in Mexico, where it built about 800,000 cars and trucks last year. Now, why are they building them in Mexico? Because the Mexican workers will not demand 30 bucks an hour, which, by the way, Tracy is on point here. Uh, He's got another factoid for us. With all the benefits added in, GM pays employees over $80 an hour. That could be why they're shifting their production to Mexico. So there has to be a concession. If GM workers want to demand that the 
jobs come back to the United States, they have to be willing to agree that they're not going to be able to get either such a rich benefits package or their hourly rate cannot keep ratcheting up over time. There has to be some kind of a balance there Um, because car buyers are not going to say, well, in order to keep cars in the United States, I want to pay 80,000 for a truck that I most recently paid, you know, 40,000 for people are not going to absorb those increases. Now, uh, GM and other automakers are dealing with declining U.S. car sales, along with the need to spend billions to develop electric and self-driving vehicles, which I don't actually agree with that either. We don't need electric vehicles. We don't need self-driving vehicles. So stop, stop doing that. You don't need to spend money on that. GM has said much of the $6 billion a year it hopes to save from plant closings would be invested in those research and development efforts. Whatever. So we're getting to a place in America where we absolutely have to have self-driving vehicles. Come on. Wow. So GM has remained very profitable, even in the face of declining sales in both the United States and China, which is now its largest market for car sales. Um, The union said their members made sacrifices to save the company 10 years ago as it went through bankruptcy and a bailout. The union argues that given the record of profits, the record profits that have been reported since then, the workers deserve to be compensated for those sacrifices. Interesting. I can't disagree with that. You can find this story um, from CNN Business in the show notes for uh, today's program. And I'm just, you know, interested to see what comes of it. I hope they can find their way back to the table and make an agreement. Not so much for them because they're making this decision with their eyes wide open. But for the people who are actually experiencing work stoppage who are not GM employees and they haven't said they want to strike and they don't need to be going without a paycheck for them to be laid off and not have work is unconscionable it really is I understand they're trying to save American jobs and I can't disagree with that Um, if they're just striking for paying benefits I gotta kind of wonder if they're sleeping well at night knowing other people have been laid off because of what they're doing if they're fighting for American jobs well I mean something's got to give you can't put all of our jobs in Mexico You can't keep shipping them off wholesale. Something has to give. Um, So now I want to do the debate debate recap. So obviously with everything that was going on yesterday, I just couldn't have cared less about the debates last night. I was just not going to watch. But I do think, well, a lot of people watched. And all of the recaps that I've watched, especially the audio clips, video clips of who was talking and who was doing what shows that Tulsi Gabbard, she was the most searched individual uh, from the debate last night for her comments on Syria. And also because she made a very interesting, not pro-life, but moderate stance on the issue of abortion for American women. Um, So we'll hit that recap when we get back. Guys, we're Stacey on the right right after this.
see on the right. Welcome back. Welcome back to the program. Um, so I mentioned the story that was posted in the chat room by Tracy. It says, according to the findings of a new Hill Harris X poll, a shocking 32% of black men who are voters would prefer to vote for Donald Trump over a generic Democratic opponent in the 2020 presidential election. The Hill reported the data deceptively by claiming that an overwhelming majority of black voters would support a Democrat in 2020 over President Trump. It didn't mention Trump's impressive support among black men in their report about the poll. This is fascinating. 32%. They support the president against a Democratic challenger. Only 7% of black females would support him over the generic Democrat. The black community may be split on gender lines over President Trump, but he has undoubtedly amassed an impressive level of support from the men for a Republican contender. Hmm. So do you think it's the criminal justice reform bill, the First Step Act? Um, could it possibly be the strong performance in the economy? I've told you before, I'm kind of Ann Coulter-esque when it comes to the efficacy of women uh, in the voting booth. And I'm a woman. And it doesn't mean I hate women or I hate myself. It just means that I understand that women are very emotionally driven and easily swayed by words instead of facts, charts, data, and quantifiable, verifiable information. And I, I, again, I find it disturbing. I think it's crazy that women are like that, especially when obviously we should have our, our emotional centers, they, they're stronger than it is with the men. And it's because we're caregivers and we're more, more empathetic. But the idea that we don't care anything about what people do, we just care about how they make us feel. Come on. You know what I'm saying? Come on. That it just has to be, it has to be something we as women work on. We have to work on that. Um, so I mentioned that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the stories that I shared uh, yesterday at the Pastor's Appreciation Briefing. This was, um, this was just really, it was such a pleasure to be there with them and to have such a large group of people who were leaders in the community be able to just sit and listen to my thoughts. Um, it was just wonderful. So I want to give you the three stories. Well, I'm going to give you two of the three stories that I shared. Um, and the first one, well, first what I shared was Ephesians 5, 8 says you were formerly in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord walk as children of light. And I talked about eternal implications and how anyone who serves in the ministry has the eternal implications of their work on their mind. It stays with you. You think about it like either you're thinking about it right when you're doing the work or it's called to your remembrance when someone reaches out and says, you prayed about this on the radio. I'm just speaking about myself personally, or you brought up this issue and um, your encouragement segment on this or that I, I held on to that or whatever the, the case may be, because I've gotten emails like this before. And I can tell you it's, it's so humbling because you wonder if, if, first of all, how many people are listening? Is anybody getting anything out of it? You know, it, you hope that you're doing something that helps. And so when I got those emails, especially when we left the old place, you know, um, it was just pretty amazing to see the response from people who'd been touched by 
things that I'd shared on the show. And so I kept that in mind as I was working on this speech because I thought it was super important to, first of all, I'm not a pastor uh, and I'm not a minister. I don't lead a congregation. So there's even more responsibility that goes with that because it's not just a radio audience that tunes in. Some people tune in sporadically. Some people are just now figuring out that I'm not still at the old place. I know that because they've emailed me and said, where are you? They haven't listened since the summer. They just came back and realized there's been a change. Other people are like the people in the chat room at StaceyOnTheRight.com are listening every single day. Notice when I'm not here. Um, and, you know, I've, I've received really encouraging words from them too. So I wanted to share some examples from our own church. And I talked about a few years ago how our pastor came up with, it was basically a focus on prayer. As Christians, prayer, our primary method for communicating with God and finding out what he wants us to do as his hands and feet. And so uh, this is a continual dialogue and conversation that we have with our father, not the, um, you know, hey, your child is sick. And this is important to pray over your sick children. But I'm talking about the continual thing, building up that relationship, um, not just the emergency stuff, but the full time relationship. So back then, this was like six, maybe seven years ago, the pastor called the congregation to join him. No, it was more like four years ago to join him in a six week church wide book study. And, um, it, the book was growing in prayer by pastor Mike Bickle. And so each Sunday he went over the chapter and, you know, read from it and taught from it. And it was so rich that I felt like God was stretching me out because I kind of thought I knew a little something about prayer until I read that book. And then in the spring, we undertook the next six weeks of studying and finished the book off and, Ooh, it was something amazing because our family did it together. I would go to Bible study at church and then we would do it together as a family once a week. And so in pointing us to prayer, he shifted thousands of people into a closer walk with God. And there had to be times when our pastor looked out and thought, how many people are getting something out of this? Like what percentage of the congregation is getting something out of this? You want results. You want, you want to see the fruit of your work. But that is kind of antithetical to the way God works because he says to us as his disciples who are discipling others, he says, go out and disciple people, but don't worry about the result. You don't go back and check and see, hey, I shared a scripture with you or hey, I invited you to church. And you kind of go back and basically browbeat the person to make sure that they got what you were putting down and that they've come to the Lord. You just share with them. You invite them to church. You do whatever it is you feel led to do. And then God takes over and does the rest. You basically just sow the seed. And God waters and someone else maybe waters it. And God, God brings the, the growth is what I'm saying. And so first Corinthians 15, 58 says, therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil in the Lord is not in vain. So obedience is the key. When God says, Hey, you know, pray with your friend, do it. Don't, don't think to yourself, oh, I don't want to be all, because that's how we do. I, I feel the same thing. When I feel led to pray for somebody or to, you know, make an overture, the first thing that happens is I hear a voice in my head that sounds just like me saying, she doesn't want that. She's not interested in that. Leave her alone. You know, don't, don't, don't embarrass yourself, but we have to be willing to go out there and do it. So as we Christians courageously walk in faith with a clear knowledge that God's word does not return void. We know he's able and willing to fulfill every promise that's contained in scripture. So the question is, do we operate in this culture as if we know the answers and want to lead others to the truth? I ask these things of you because 
The fact is, we see a world bursting with people who need a savior, but we're afraid to tell them how to get saved. So this is the second story. And I love this story. Um, It's a true story. My Bible study fellowship leader shared a story with us about a time a few years ago when she and a group of people traveled to New York City. And they went to the Sam's Club there and bought the kind of folding table that costs like 39 or 49 bucks. And they had crates that they bought from there and they bought cases of water. They went to Central Park, set up the tables, set up the crates underneath with the water bottles and put a handmade sign up that said, what is your concern? I'll pray with you. Now, all the way there, from the moment she agreed to go, she had been feeling in her mind and her feelings that they wouldn't be well received, that someone would call the police on them because they were, you know, doing Christianity in public and that there would just be something negative involved, that people wouldn't be responsive. But instead, people lined up around Central Park. The line just snaked on and on. They started at a little after five in the morning and kept praying with people all day until dark. (laughs) This is in the cold. This is in one of the coldest months in New York. They're out there doing this with their coats on and stuff. The people were hurting and they wanted prayer. There were poor people, people who walked up with brand names you could see from a mile away. There were men, women. There were atheists. There were Jewish people. People who came up and said, I don't believe in God, but you're here. You say you can pray. If you believe in him and you'll talk to him on my behalf, I have problems. And then I don't know how to fix it. They literally were like, I'll, you will pray for me. Come on. I'm, I'm in line. I'm waiting for an opportunity for you to pray for me. In one of the most ungodly places on the face of the planet, they were able to pray all day long and not meet everyone's needs. They're exhausted. They just had to quit. So some people came to Christ right on the spot. Others just had time in prayer and moved on. It is totally counterintuitive to travel to New York City and set up a folding table with a homemade sign and pray for strangers. But they were told to do it. They did it. They were obedient. And God brought the harvest. The same thing happened here recently. Similar thing. Um, 10daysstlouis.com actually prayed across the metro area over the course of 10 days. They were literally going from neighborhood to neighborhood, covering the city in prayer. And they now have another thing that they're going to do, which I'll share on the air with you Um Actually, he gave it to me yesterday and I have a little stack of things from yesterday's because so many people gave me things like little flyers and things about stuff they're doing to share. So I'll share all of that in one one load uh, to kind of give you all the, the things. And I know some of you are nowhere near St. Louis, but if these are ideas that you think to yourself, wow, we should do that. That's that's a part of why I'm sharing it. And so that's exactly what God has called us to do. Pastor Gary Rohrmeyer said vision is capturing God's assignment. And. I think if we could just get outside of ourselves and believe that God's word never returns void, believe what God says about us, that we're a royal priesthood clothed in white, that the glory of the Lord is our rear guard, that he won't allow us to dash our foot. And that's not about physical. That's that's in the spiritual realm. Once we belong to him, we are forever protected. Our, our spirits are going to live on with him through eternity forever. He is 
interested in not just the relationship he has with us, but in us being disciples and telling other people about the goodness of God, the thing that he's doing in our lives so that other people can be saved too. And so I was encouraging these pastors and leaders yesterday. I was sharing my heart with them because I do have a heart for people who have been called into ministry and they give up so much of what we find satisfying, you know, just vegging out on the weekend and gardening, drinking hot tea, doing a couple of art projects, and then, you know, maybe uh, watching television. (laughs) You know, when people are called into ministry, they often spend a lot of their free time working as well. It's like a full-time 24-hour a day, seven-day-a-week calling where they don't get a lot of rest. And so they deserve to have someone just look them in the face, which I got to do yesterday, and say, God loves you, and you are doing an amazing job, and thank you. And so that was my privilege yesterday to get to share those two stories with those people. I shared one more, which was a personal one that I've already shared on the air before. So I'm, I'm not going to share it again here now, especially since we only have two minutes left. Um, actually, that was that was one story. I shared the other story was about the red team and the blue team. It, it's a sports story. It's too long for me to share um, in this two minutes. I'm sorry, guys. I only shared one story with you. I didn't share two. Looks like I have to share tomorrow. <laughs> so... Um, but it, it was it was amazing. Um, they had a choir there that sang. They, oh my goodness, their voices. So I was up near the front, y'all, because I was at the table where you sit, where if you're a speaker, you need to be close to the front so you can get up to the stage real quick. And so I could hear them. Not their voices through the microphone, but their actual voices. Just they, These women had those choir voices where... You know, the voices have kind of a wavy tonality to it. And you think to yourself, if I close my eyes, this might be what heaven sounds like. Because they these chicks were loud. Their voices were beautiful and clear. And the men were harmonizing. And they were singing. One of the songs was a contemporary Christian song that you hear. If you listen to Joy FM or uh, K-Love, you hear it all the time. And if you don't, you probably have heard it maybe in a store somewhere while you've been shopping. And then the other song that they sang was Mary, did you know? And oh, I knew I had to get up and speak in a few minutes. So I wasn't about to start bawling and crying. But y'all, I was, you know, you know, Christmas is my favorite. I would start Christmas next week if I could. But apparently we have to hang around for Halloween, which I hate. And then we can actually get into the fun. Well, basically, we always wait until the day after Thanksgiving. My husband's like, you can't do Thanksgiving and Christmas at the same time. I feel like we can, but anyway, submitted and in agreement. All right. (laughs) That's the show for today. God bless. Uh, Talk to you guys tomorrow. Have a great night.